Hello and welcome to the GeoSpeaks podcast. GeoSpeaks is a podcast about how geography impacts our lives. Today we'll be talking about the power of mapping. We will be focusing on a small community called the Kibera Slum, which is located in Kenya. And today we will have a very special guest with us, Ms. Erica Hagen, who is the director of the Map Kibera Trust and the Ground Truth Initiative. Welcome, Ms. Hagen. Thank you. It's nice to be here. <laughs> Ms. Hagen, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Where did you go to school and what did you major in? Sure. Um, I Well, I grew up in a suburban Chicago and I went, I guess you mean for college. I was I went to Reed College, which is in Portland, Oregon. Um, back then I majored in religious studies. It's kind of almost like an anthropology degree for the way that I studied it. Um, so I was always interested in international things. I was kind of studying Buddhism and Eastern religions at college. Um, but after that, several years after that, um, I went to graduate school for international affairs at Columbia University in New York. Um, and that was uh, specifically focusing on studying international development and um media i studied kind of journalism and what we used to call new media which meant anything sort of using the internet <laughs> um they don't i don't think call it that anymore but uh that's my yeah education background okay so what got you interested in development was it a class or a person um that's a good question. I think I just, well, I guess I could probably track it back to um, when I was studying religion in college. And I was, like I said, interested in Eastern religions. I did a study abroad program in India. And it really kind of changed my life to to go there. I hadn't really traveled outside the US before. Um, and we lived in our study abroad in a small kind of town. Um, and it was a lot of poverty, I guess, around. And India is just quite poor in a lot of places. So I was pretty interested in kind of the social issues going on and just wanted to kind of contribute that way. Um, that might have been my first. Yeah. So I don't know if it was a class, really, but it was like a whole semester kind of eye-opening experience I had. And how did you become involved with Map Kibera? What or who inspired you to choose the Kibera slum? So um, right after my graduate degree, I um, met Mikkel Marin, who is now my husband. Um, and so we were kind of getting to know each other and date and everything at that time. And we actually met at a conference that was about using the internet in developments and mobile phones and things like that. And um, his background was in mapping. So we ended up traveling to Kenya together to do this project. And I was um, at the time more focused on the media aspect. Um, but as far as choosing this slum of Kibera, people ask me this a lot. And it's it's kind of like, I don't have the, probably the most satisfying answer, but um, we, uh, well, there was a geography conference in Nairobi, um, I guess probably a year before we went there. 
and the geographers, it was kind of an African geography conference, but there were some international folks there, one of whom was a colleague of uh, my partner. So they noticed that Kibera was a blank spot on the map. And it was kind of a glaring blank spot being such a prominent um, informal settlement. And so central to the city and just well known. I, I actually knew about it before I went there, even having not spent much time in in Africa, but it just was known as kind of an intractable development challenge, you know, that people studied a lot, but didn't seem to make a difference. So the fact that it wasn't on the map was notable to a lot of people. The fact that we went to try to map it was more of a factor of, (laughs) I guess, just my partner's uh, talking to his friend and, you know, getting a small grant to do so. Um, but we really didn't know what, what to expect. And it wasn't it wasn't meant to be a long project like how it is now. It was originally meant to be just a couple of months. Um, yeah, so it was, it was a little bit of one of those things that just kind of happens and you feel like it's choosing you rather than you're choosing it. <laughs> so... <laughs> But so we clearly became kind of hooked on on Kenya ever since then. So. Okay, so in 10 years of mapping Kibera, what percent of the slum is completely mapped? Oh, that's a good question. I think so mapping, you could say, is never completed <laughs> because there's always more. So I mean, I could say 100% because we've definitely mapped 100% of it in some way. Um, but, well, even if you look at how the map is in OpenStreetMap, which is which is the platform that we use, um, you will see that, like, for instance, some of the uh, buildings, there's some sections where the buildings haven't been traced. So there's not actually, like, little kind of square outlines of each structure and you might say oh well that area isn't mapped so then only 80 percent of it's been mapped but for us starting the project we were focused not on like that you know not so much on those structures as different social points so um, we mapped you know like say water points or toilets because a lot of the toilets in the slum are are public structures um Anyway, and so we would, we would put, it's almost like one of those things where if you start out mapping every single water point, say, because those are also public a lot of time, um, you get from one end to the other. And by the time you reach the other end of the slum, there's something that's changed back on the beginning. So you almost have to like continually start again. So there's no way you could ever really be a hundred percent, but I guess that's our, that's our goal, but (laughs) It's not really possible. We've we've done schools and we think that we covered every school at one point, um, which which the schools in Kibera tend to be like one room, two room sort of shacks, um, little private schools. So they're not like what you think of as a big school building much of the time. There's a few of those. And so at one point we had 100% of schools we felt or maybe 95%. And so we were able to present that data to different, like to the government. Um, they had, they hadn't got into that point of coverage before. Like they thought there were a lot fewer schools. So that was 
kind of exciting because we were like, well, we think we've captured all of these, but we weren't sure. <laughs> and now things have changed. So it's like a constant process. Oh, man, we got to go find those schools that closed and figure out the ones that opened. And it's it's kind of like just things change continuously. And that's the nature of like an informal kind of area. Did you have open street mappers from overseas mapping Cabrera? And if so, did you see any, if any of those overseas open street mappers provided any inconsistent data while mapping? And did you help with those inconsistencies? Um, so when we started, we didn't have any, no, we didn't have, well, I'm trying to remember. We might've had a little, like a few just kind of people that we knew that were kind of helping with doing some outlines. So I think there was like a little bit of tracing that happened right before, which just was to set up like where were the obvious roads and things you could detect in satellite imagery. Um, so that would have been the, but that would have been the um, extent of it. It wasn't like how now there, there was no tasking manager. This was even before like the Haiti earthquake, which really was where, that kind of thing started happening where a lot of like remote tracing was happening um so no we didn't really but um in terms of inconsistent data we we do have to kind of monitor what's being mapped in Kibera especially um like if there's changes made just kind of keep an eye if there's any corrections or inconsistencies the main thing that we had challenge with was when initially somebody was overseas was doing all of the building tracing um my the lead mapper in map Kibera had to make a lot of corrections to that because it's well it's if you i don't know if you've tried it <laughs> but if you look at the satellite imagery of something really dense like a slum it's very difficult to detect where the rooftops edges are and if you're also, if you're kind of like off even slightly, then everything is off. Um, anyway, so yeah, he had to do a lot of kind of changes on that. But when you have an open editable map, you can't really just say, okay, everybody, you know, check in with us before you edit this. <laughs> it's not really like you can own an area in any way. Um, so the best that you can do is just kind of track what people are doing. And then if they seem to be a little bit like making mistakes a lot, you can try to contact them. Well, you do contact them and kind of say, okay, what are you working on here? And because they're always trying to help. So it's not like they're, at least in our case, sometimes people might make do something that's supposed to be messing something up, but that's very rare and certainly not in Kibera. So yeah. But, um, but yeah, things were done a bit differently. I think now there's this kind of process that a lot of times there's like a tracing exercise that happens before the field mapping. Um, and that can be kind of global with like a um, an open street map task that's set up and people contribute. But satellite imagery also has improved dr dramatically and the accessibility of imagery has improved. So you can really do that much better better than we were ever able to do back then um, but I would still say slums I have kind of a challenge with um it's just they're they're hard to you can't really use imagery the same way you can't use like an overhead view unless maybe you have like a drone or a very close-up image that shows you 
what you're looking at because it's just so dense. I mean, people's homes could be a couple of meters wide or something. So that's just, <laughs> things are just small. <laughs> okay. So has mapping brought any conflict to the area, maybe like disrupting the locals? And how did the locals at first feel when the Kaibira start project started? Well, let's see. I, I kind of get asked this question in different ways. Like, is there any kind of, was there, yeah, like conflict introduced or any kind of risk introduced? Um, I don't think that there has been that I can think of in this in this kind of conflict way or disruption we've tried to be very careful um so if there's something that people were like didn't want mapped um we would try to avoid that but there has been very few there's you know there's a little bit of concern because the, with the informal economy that means that people are essentially running a, what you might think of as illegal businesses or electrical connections that aren't sanctioned or um, things like that um, but so far the maps haven't really been used to sort of target that kind of thing like people like the government when they want to target Kibera people they kind of just show up <laughs> and target them um, so I don't think that but we have had to think about it and discuss it um, we you know the the project starting we worked with a partner organization and actually they're sort of based in Kibera, but also partnered with part of the university of um, North Carolina. So they're called Carolina for Kibera and they're pretty well-regarded established organization. Like it's sort of social service organization in Kibera. So, you know, we kind of worked with them and talked to people that way and got a sense of, the local response was and people were interested and then you know the main thing we did was recruit young people to do the mapping that lived there so we knew that if you know if they wanted to do it and if they didn't get a lot of pushback you know then it would work um i think maybe more tricky was we also had to get like approvals from the different local government people and you know we kind of had to you can't just just show up and kind of be like here's what we're doing you have to talk to the right people and get these kind of permissions and then there's also I mean I guess the biggest pushback we got with the local community was when we were starting to do media and you know photography um well we didn't do that until a little bit later but um so we started like a media channel which involved video and again we weren't you know I wasn't going around doing the shooting of the video or anything it was all training young people to do it but they would still get pushed back because um people didn't really want to be cap their images captured but they didn't seem to have the same issue like being on a map was something they seemed to be more like actually excited about having their picture taken was more like what are you going to do with that picture <laughs> you know yeah um yeah after mapping Cabrera, did it help with improving life expectancy of the residents? And what other improvements happened due to the mapping in Cabrera project? Well, um, 
I mean, I don't know about the life. That would be a hard thing to measure about life expectancy and correlate. There's so many things that impact that. Um, as far as like direct impacts, um, well, so what happened was we did the map and then a lot of times maps are created by an established organization that wants a map. And in fact, this had been happening. So like, you know, you could take any humanitarian kind of organization. They're like, okay, we, we need a map. Um, we're going to do some kind of project, um, water project or what have you. Um, but then they would take that data and it wouldn't be available to anyone else. So this was kind of more of like, well, we know that everybody's doing collecting this data. They're using it for good things possibly, but they're never sharing the data back to the people. So people are still kind of in the dark about, you know, this information that these organizations or government has. So, I mean, I guess one thing that happened was more people were able to kind of see what was the, the lay of the land and the, you know, what, what Kibera was from a, from that perspective. Um, yeah, but as far as direct impacts from like specific maps, um, we, for example, the education map, we mapped all of the schools, as I said previously, um, and then we brought it to the minister of parliament that represented that area. And he kind of said like, look, there's all of these students who are being schooled informally. They're not going to government schools or public schools. Um, and they deserve resources. And this was not necessarily just us, but like the school leaders and the networks of schools in the slum that had that point of view. And the Minister of Parliament was sympathetic. So he was able to use the map data and kind of demonstrate, like, look at the numbers of, like the sheer numbers of students that we kind of counted that are not getting any government help and yet they're the poorest students. Um, and get more resources allocated to education for Kibera that way. So a lot of times there's this kind of long process of policy advocacy that has to happen and it's very challenging. But that was something that we were really proud of because he was even able to get um, resources for a secondary school, which there hadn't been a secondary school, a public government funded one. Um, but it's an ongoing process. So then later we worked on another slum in education mapping um, and we started working with some policy organizations and trying to sort of help them present this case that um, these informal schools are actually providing a service and they should be recognized and kind of this legitimization process for those schools and also that would help raise the standards so that's a huge policy issue that a lot of people have been working on um, not you know outside of us we just tried to provide like really the this like strong data that could back it up and it's interesting because there will there will always be other people trying to do some kind of mapping but you i mean what what i found is like when we work with the community we end up with just better data than what you'll find that they have so as you said you were you had the communities involved and did you find that the women were eager to be in involved with the mapping project and were there more men than women or was it about equal and how did the Kibera project help women in the community stay? Um, 
So when we first recruited the young people to MAP, we made sure that there was um, half, half of them were female. So we're women, young women. Um, and so we kind of, I mean, you know, we had that as a prerequisite. Um, but as far as like over the years, we just, we do more sort of generic recruitment. Like we don't, you know, we kind of have open calls sometimes or they'll just be volunteers that show up. So we don't always have this kind of control. Um, and in those cases, we've had fewer women. But I think overall, the, the percentage is still like more than what I've seen in the U.S. Um, in terms of the mapping community, especially in the open street map community, which is lar largely male. And we're sort of changing that slowly. Um, so I think that the thing is that what has happened is like, young because we were working with we call them youth but it was basically like age just high school graduate age up until I guess 25 or late 20s somewhere in that 10 year range um they when the the women in that age category are more they they sometimes have more responsibility <laughs> like they can't necessarily um well, they certainly can't volunteer like just for free with their time. They're sometimes already young mothers and um, maybe single mothers. Like there's just more challenges that they seem to face. So if they weren't immediately going to see a sort of a career path or job path, um, they weren't necessarily going to stick around. But right now we do still have like one of our lead mappers is one of those original young women that was we worked with and um with more recently we've had some the media team has been joined by some young women so it kind of has been a struggle the whole time but we've been having some success um as far as helping women in the community um we've we did do a project um to map safety for girls and that i've always found was very interesting and we've used that as like security map we call it the security map so we, the way we created it was with young women and even girls in the community sort of saying where the safe and unsafe places were. And we found that like they were very sensitive to those places. So like they knew, they knew everywhere that was like not good to walk and where crime would happen and they could easily, like they were sort of geographically sensitive <laughs> because they were at, vulnerable basically. And the point of that mapping was supposed to be to map vulnerability to HIV or risk to HIV, which was um, what UNICEF wanted mapped, but we didn't really know what that meant. So <laughs> we were like, well, how do we map vulnerability? But that was sort of what we came up with as a way to put it geographically. And that ended up being used in security planning for different, um, like for the elections, which tend to be very um, insecure. Sometimes there's violence during elections and things like that. So um, that was kind of one of our more gender oriented projects we've done, which I think has been interesting because I mean, there were security impacts that there were um, sort of security posts set up and lights, big like bright street lighting put up in certain places thanks to this information. Um, yeah, but I'd like to do more actually on this on this topic we we with our video project we do a lot of 
you know, recording stories. And we do focus quite a lot on women's perspectives and in interviews. Um, and we recently did another project mapping food stalls, food vendors, which are very largely women. Um, they sell fruits and vegetables on the street and things. Um, and that was meant to kind of help them uh, improve their livelihoods. So there's there's kind of a gender aspect to a lot of the projects, but it might not be as explicit until you dig into it a little more. What year do you think you'll be done with mapping the whole Kibera? From your TED Talk from 2015, you said that the Indian government wanted all slums to be mapped by 2022. Is that still on track? Well, so as far as mapping the whole Kibera, as I said, I don't think we'll ever be done. <laughs> so I can't necessarily say. Um, so it's almost like at the same time we map, you know, we mapped it all in 2010, but we have to map it all in 2011, 12, 13 every year, which we don't always have the resources for because we're also mapping other places. Um, we also work in other informal settlements and even like rural Kenya. We've been doing a lot of projects throughout the country. Um, as far as the, yeah, that's interesting. So the TED talk I did there, it was in India. I mean, I was in India at the time to present that. And, um, I was really excited about maybe doing some mapping of the Mumbai slums where we were, um, and I had visited them and stuff. Um, and yes, they wanted the, them to be mapped by 2022. I'd have to go back and check at how, what kind of progress they've made. Um, and whether, yeah, I actually don't, I have to say I haven't followed up because we didn't get a chance to do that, unfortunately. I was hoping to, um, you know, look, I basically looked to get some funding to be able to to go and do some of that in India. But we ended up doing some other projects there in India, but not, not slum mapping. Um, yeah, so that inspires me to maybe look it up. But <laughs> my guess would be, um, you know, when the Indian government kind of wants something done, it gets done, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's done like the right way and, you know, fully accurately and certainly not necessarily with open data. Um, so it might be that they say that they've finished it. I don't know, but. Well, thank you for speaking with us and joining in on our podcast to tell us about your project. Your topic is very eye-opening and insightful. Is there anything else to add that you think is important for us to know? Um, let's see. No, just keep studying geography. <laughs> <laughs> well, we thank you for showing us how your project ran and, letting, and how you let locals and residents help map their community and how it benefits them. We are excited to share this information with our classmates as it is very important to learn and teach the community how we can help third world countries thanks great thank you so much thank thanks. you